Good afternoon, Husky fans. Thanks for tuning into the 18th episode of Husky Dash with your hosts at Nathan Matheson and myself at nine underscore three quarters. Today, we're going to be diving into a forecast for what's to come in next season, an exploration of our previous expectations for this past season, and lastly, season awards, of which we have five categories, coach, offensive player, defensive player, freshman player, and play of the season. If you agree, disagree, or think we forgot something, say so in the comments when the or in the <coughs> chat. When that segment comes up, let us know what you guys think and we'll talk about it. As a reminder, please feel free to drop a comment or even just a hello, and we'll make sure we cover our segments and anything else that comes up in chat. Now then, to Dog Snacks slash Pac-12 roundup of the past week since we didn't really participate. Uh, Utah versus 25th ranked Colorado, 38-21 win for Utah, 13 USC versus USA, UCLA, sorry, USC win 43-38. to The University of Washington is kind of the Pac-12 North Championship champions. Um, Oregon took our spot for the championship game since we, due to COVID protocols, could not play versus Oregon this past weekend or against USC for the championship game this coming Saturday because of the two-week policy and a bunch of COVID stuff that we'll get into later. Um, fun fact for, for games, cancellations, and schedulings, um, Oregon State is the only team in the Pac-12 right now, barring a canceled game this Saturday, to have played every single one of their scheduled games. So congrats to Oregon State, I guess, for uh, luck of the draw. Um, in other news, today was the first day of the early signing period for prospective college football players. The University of Washington had 15 recruits sign letters of intent, which was the expected amount for our team during the signing period. So not really good news or bad news there. Uh, into some more good news and some bad news, sadly. Uh, segment one, what to watch out for with this next coming year. Some solid things, some solid things, some things that might need help or some work on, incomers, who's leaving, bright spots pretty much everything that happened for next year all recap summarized whatever you want to call it right here in 10 minutes um what's what's your big takeaway what's your first thing you want to want to get off your chest about this next year um just looking towards next season i thought this this season was a very good measure of showing the huskies potential that they have especially with like the games against arizona and then more of the second half against utah but then it also showed how far the huskies have to go and have to improve until they'd be considered a top tier team again. So it was a really good measure. And just looking at a particular player who really gives me hope for next season, it would have to be the quarterback in Dylan Morris. I mean, he had by no means a great year, but then he didn't have a bad year. He threw for in the four games, 900 yards. He had a 61% completion percentage, four touchdowns to three interceptions. And all three of those interceptions were against Utah. So the other games, he was much more cautious with the ball, which I think that's more of his style. I look at him as kind of a game manager, kind of a quarterback who, with the right pieces around him, he'll be able to succeed and he'll be able to help you win games. But if they don't have the right pieces around him, then he won't just be able to put the team on his back and throw the ball all over the place and win these games against these extremely tough opponents. So that was kind of my first main takeaway, looking at, Dylan Morris to continue improving and continue to get better on this offseason, have a better chemistry with his receivers who all may be returning and just overall improve on a um, first year starting. Yeah. I mean, when, when I was looking to the segment and I was like, all right, what, what's, what's good to go for next season? What do we not really have to worry about? And I, and my first thought was quarterback position. I mean, we have Dylan Morris in there who's more than proven that he's capable to handle the position, if not excel in it. And then we have Sam, uh, Sam Heward, Heward, um, 
Heward, I'm so sorry, um, Sam Heward coming in. I thought that was it. And then I was like, no, it's a funny pronunciation maybe. And then, no, it's Heward. Sam Heward's coming in, um, ready to challenge for the position. And I think that's going to develop a really youthful, young. I mean, these are both guys who next year will will, will pretty much have four years to play afterwards. Um, Morris is set up nicely to defend. He's, he's, he's set the bar for himself and what Heward would have to surpass. Lake has already gone on record as calling Heward the best quarterback in the country. So we we see where this is going. Um, and, and I think the quarterback position absolutely is is a spot within our team that is not only bright and young, but also like solidified. There's not really any anxiety or worry there. Um, even with the departure or not departure, but soon to be departure, I'm, I'm assuming um, once Jacob Sermon hit the transfer portal um, either today or, or yesterday sometime. Yeah. Um, so I, other than that, outside of that, that transfer portal submission, I, I think the quarterback position is something we do not have to worry about heading. Yeah. And looking at another spot that I think is kind of set for the Huskies to really continue helping them along. And I put it as kind of their core defensive players. So they're going to lose Elijah Molden. That's like a foregone conclusion, but these key impact players who all made impact this year in Edifon Ulfosio. Uh, ZTF, Trent McDuffie, Kyler Gordon came on towards the end. All these guys are going to be back next year. They're going to be improved. And it really sets up for this Husky defense to just get better and better. And hopefully they figure out the run game and work on that all offseason because that was really the one weakness that this defense had was the run game. They were locked down against the pass. And that might take a step back. I mean, you're losing both the starting outside corners in Keith Taylor and Lyle Molden. But Kyler Gordon really came on on the end. Um, Trent McDuffie, he's shown promise from his true freshman year last year, winning the being a first-team All-Pac-12 freshman player. So this core defense is going to be very similar from year to year, and that's what Jimmy Lake clearly takes pride on, having a great defense. He's a defensive-minded coach. So he's going to get these guys training. He's going to take in the freshmen who didn't make an impact this year, and maybe some of the incoming freshmen might have a shot. I mean, especially a true freshman. We got some playing time in Savelle Smalls, another year um, practicing, getting college football ready. He's just going to be even better than he was this year. Yeah, I mean, defense was the other part I said on as a whole, I think, um, is, is going to be pretty solid looking. I mean, of course, we had the the problems with like rush rush defense but i mean I, that's a problem we're gonna fix but i mean I, I, as a as an entirety i do think the defense is gonna be really good i mean it's 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 mostly younger players in in both on field starting and in the depth charts um some of it due to covid some of it just due to the youth of our roster i mean that's great that's that's great for long-term winning and, and whatnot and then we also have a lot of returners as i said with with starters who aren't graduating or leaving after this year so that's a beautiful step up um, I don't know what Molden's going to do. I, I, I think Molden and, and a few of other seniors on the, the UW roster, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, could absolutely leave as seniors this year and say, hey, I made enough of an impression in those four games to head out. I think Molden is one of them. I also think Otten's one of them. One group, though, where we might lose two seniors, although they might stick around, um, Jordan Chin and Fatusua Godnet. Um, both seniors, we might lose them. However, I think the wide receiver group is another position that's going to be absolutely rock solid heading in, into next year. I mean, we're keeping Ty Jones, Romo Dunze, Puka Nakua, Terrell Bynum, and then let's just keep going on. I mean, you have Racanelli, Osborne, you have a bunch of these guys who who they're not seniors, they're sophomores, juniors, redshirt freshmen, freshmen. 
they're going to be here for two, three, four, five more years. I, I think those three, um, at least in my opinion, were the three I, I, I solidified as, as being the most solid heading into next year. Yeah. Receivers, defense, and uh, quarterbacks. Yeah, adding on the receivers, I felt they're in a good position to keep improving. I kind of looked at it as the core receivers who really made an impact this year. They all should be back with really none of the, neither one of the senior receivers really played much this year. So you look at Terrell Bynum, Ty Jones, Puka Nakua as the three guys who played the most this year. The two, Puka Nakua and um, Terrell Bynum, both missed a couple games because of COVID possibly. But those guys will be back hopefully. And then they had the true freshman, Jalen McMillan, Roma Dunze. Those guys got some playing time, and that'll just help them. Overall, they played okay. I mean, they had some drops, which I can't ignore that. But they were able to get open. They just got to work on catching the ball, getting that chemistry going with Dylan Morris or maybe Sam Heward if he wins the starting job next year. And they did get one of their um, recruits who signed the letter of intent this year, Jabez Tinai. I mentioned him on an earlier episode, four-star receiver. He could easily come in and challenge for some playing time. So overall, the receiver group is looking like it's in a good position. It would have been in a better position had they gotten Amika Ibuka, the five-star who chose not to come here and chose to go to Ohio State. But that's not going to be talked about here because this is about the Huskies. So overall, yeah, overall, the Husky receiver group is looking like it'll be improved next year. They'll just be better, hopefully. Yeah, and there's some things that are going to need some help, obviously. Like, they're looking a little iffy. I I think the tight end group is is one of those ones that's going to be looking like it's in limbo. No, um, I, I actually disagree with you there with the tight end group. I think they're losing Kate on for sure, probably. I mean, he, he had a great year. He'll probably be gone. But you look at some of the guys, Mark Redman, a four-star f- true freshman. He got some playing time earlier on in the season. They had another four-star freshman uh, tight end who didn't really get any playing time, but got good practice reps, I'm assuming. So overall, I think the tight end position is going to be young might struggle early on maybe but hopefully we get a normal off season and back at it for a full schedule next season so they get time to develop here's here's where i'm worried it's not that it's one mm. player in kate Otten that's leaving it's that it's kate Otten who's leaving kate Otten not only leads receiving yards for the entire team he has uh 18 receptions the next highest is nakua at nine so not only does he have the most receptions of, of anyone on the team this this year this season but he has double second place the next tight end on the list is Devin Culp with one reception. One reception again with Jack Westover. I mean, Kadon has 258 yards off of 18 receptions, three TDs. I mean, it's it's not the shoes. It's just the side of the, the shoes, dude. And it's just, they're massive. And I'm that's why it's limbo for me is because I'm just not sure if the tight ends we currently have, I haven't seen enough of them from the four games we've played to say that they can fill on shoes. Yeah, and a comment we got um, saying our recruiting director is whack. Yeah, the the Husky recruiting has it hasn't been the best. It's been iffy, especially in state recruit with there being so many top talent here in Washington, especially this year. And the Huskies likely losing out on two of the three five star. They're getting Sam Heward, but really he was kind of a foregone conclusion because of his father playing here and for his um, uncle playing at Washington. So overall, 
the recruiting definitely needs to be worked on. You have to get these great five-star players when they're in state. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's been a weird season. Um, it's Justin Glenn, the guy you're talking about. Um, it, it, it's weird. I mean, comparing Justin Glenn to Chris Peterson, who, or sorry, not Chris Peterson, Chris Peterson era recruiter, uh, Cooper Petta, Pe Cooper P. I don't remember his last name. Uh, Cooper P replaced him, but Glenn's been around the program for so long. He just has, uh, he has a ton of, of like just tentacles out and about the PNW West coast area um, just due to how long that's been. And I mean, if you look at freshmen who have come in in the past couple of years, we have this huge just roster full of um, of athletes from like Washington state. It's just a massive roster full of freshmen, sophomores. Um, and then that's, that's kind of the, the problem is that you juggle having someone as a recruiting director who has that massive outreach in your area. And then one who can reach out nationally and try to uh, cherry pick from the cream of the crop. But, I mean, that's two sides of a coin. We don't know what really happened to Newton. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to kind of talk about Newton a bit in our next segment, which you want to move on to it? Yeah, we can absolutely move on to that, um, which is whether or not the season lived up to expectation. TLDR for me, yes, the season lived up to expectation. There's a lot of things that need to be defined individually within that sentence about whether or not the season did live up to expectation. I need to break down every syllable for why I said yes. Nathan, tell me what you think. Um, so in theory, I think it lived up to expectation just on paper, not in play, because at the start of the year, I looked at the Huskies as a team that should challenge for the North and could easily win the Pac-12 championship, which here we are. They technically won the North, yet they're not going to be playing for the championship. So that's where it kind of falls off of living up to expectations. I mean, we challenged I, for it, right? Yeah, so that's <laughs> why I'm saying in theory they lived up to expectation, but then on play they didn't because they won't be playing for it. They only were able to play four games due to two games being canceled without being made up and – then the one against the one did get made up with us playing Utah. So in theory it did. And then getting to kind of individuals living up to expectations. Here's where I'll talk about Newton. Newton, he he I I've said on this show earlier, I thought Newton was gonna have a huge year. I thought he was gonna be the clear front runner for this team. He was gonna be the breakout. At one point, I think I was throwing out numbers like 800 rushing yards on this short I season. This episode. <laughs> and here through two games, I mean he was looking great. He had 23 carries, I think, for 122 yards and two touchdowns while splitting it. And lo and behold, that was the last time he touched the ball, a 52-yard touchdown run against Arizona. So he's for some reason got benched. He even got behind um cam davis the one freshman running back had a couple touches in the games against utah and stanford when newton had no touches so they changed from kind of a four back committee with newton mcgrew pleasant and davis to really just mcgrew and pleasant kind of carrying the load and mcgrew i thought he deserved his touches he had 43 carries for um 227 yards four touchdowns he averaged 5.2 yards a carry, which was the same as Newton averaging. Pleasant, on the other hand, I would have liked Newton to get touches over Pleasant. Pleasant, I mean, he had a decent year, 300 or 34 carries, 140 yards, which was about what Newton had on half the touches, or 10 less touches, I mean. Three touchdowns to Newton's two touchdowns. So overall, Newton kind of, for some reason, didn't live up to expectations. He was in pads in both the games. 
he just never got on the field. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, like that's 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 to answer your question. I think it's, it's Dubs is your name. I we just don't really know what what happened to Newton. I mean, he was suited up, and he he was the one who was on the field for both of those games. Just never played, right? He was suited yeah. and ready to go. Yeah, we just don't know what happened. I mean, as you know. Jimmy Lake has been extremely close to the chest with um, information regarding the team in terms of who's playing, who's not playing, who has COVID protocols and skill groups and whatnot. So uh, at the moment, we really don't know too much other than that he's been suiting up and we can speculate from there. Um, for McGrew, though, one thing I thought was really interesting is like his first game he played, he was averaging, I think, 10.1 yards a carry. And then his his productivity just dropped. He went down to five and then he went down to four. And then I think he he... he bottomed out at like four and a half yard average per carry. Um, I think McGrew would have done absolutely fantastic if he could have kept up that performance and that that amount of efficiency from that first game of 10.1 yards per carry. But I, I I wish a lot of the running, all of the running backs could have done better. That would have made the season a lot more, um, a lot easier, a lot more enjoyable, I think as well. Um, in terms of the season though, as a, as a, as a whole, I, I'm saying, yes, it lived up to expectation. Living up... Uh, if you're saying expectations of mine were so low, it would have been hard. Um, I'm going to finish this up and then I'm going to get to your comment. But the reason I'm saying it, it lived up to expectation is we only got four games. We went three and one right side. We played more than 50% of our games. I think that's a blessing just out of the gate when you have a seven game season and COVID's just demolishing teams left and right. Um, weren't any crazy bad outbreaks within the football program until very recently. Um, Seattle times article, uh, by Mike Farrell recently published stating that we need Pac-12 requires 53 available scholarship players, including a quarterback, seven O-line and four D-linemen to be able to qualify for competition uh, due to a combination of a bunch of things revolving, uh, involving COVID. Uh, the Huskies not only didn't make the 53 player scholarship require or 50, 53 player minimum requirement, we had zero offensive linemen. So like if he had released a roster, like a depth chart for the game day, at O-linemen, there would have been no names. We just had no one to put on a uniform, whether a walk-on, a scholarship player, a transfer, a graduate student. We just didn't have anyone on the team for O-line. That really sucked. Um, outside of that, though, having a winning season, uh, challenging for the championship title, technically winning the, the Pac-12 North, um, I think that was a dub. Do you think Sam Heward will start as a freshman? Why do you think Ibuka wide receiver went to Ohio State? Um, why do you, I, I didn't follow Ibuka all that much. Um, why do you um, think he went to Ohio State? So I think Amika Ibuka, he went to Ohio State just based off of, off of, um, the history of Ohio State kind of with their wide receiver development, which is something the Huskies don't have. The Ohio State's had the number one wide receiver recruit the past couple of years, actually one or two years, they've had the number one wide receiver go there. They already have the class of 2022 number one wide receiver committed to Ohio State. So Ohio State's kind of just a breeding ground, I guess you could say, for wide receivers. And Amika, he chose that over kind of his hometown, home team, who hasn't really had a great success with wide receivers going from UW to the NFL in recent history. I mean, you can look at John Ross. He's kind of flopped. Dante Pettis, he's kind of flopped. Jermaine Curse a while ago, he had one or two good years. So overall, he went there just for the overall like talent Ohio State can give these wide receivers and what they can produce after college. Um, in terms of Heward starting as a freshman, I don't know. That's competition. That's all fall camp. I don't even know if Morris is going to start next year because of how, how much talent and uh, depth we have at the quarter, 
quarterback position right now, it's going to be a challenge. I mean, knowing Jimmy Lake, knowing those guys and, and my high school coach talking about them and how they operate, it, it's absolutely uh, an up to the day of the decision decision. They're going to measure everything. They're super holistic coaches and they want to, they want the best possible choice for every position. And they leave that up to their players to decide who's the best. And yeah, um, again, I, Nathan, I, that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, SI, April of this year, they did who the new wide receiver U was. I think Clemson won, but Ohio State was right behind them at second. I mean, UW just didn't even make the list. So uh, that's probably why he went there. He just wanted the better wide receiver um, stats, better wide receiver training. Supposedly. I'm not saying they're better than us with wide receivers. I'm just saying that's supposed. It's what everyone in the country is saying. And, and for your next question about Peterson being the Ducks next, I don't think Peterson's going to coach again. I think he's fine just with his nice cushy job here at UW making a good amount of money, not really having the stress of coaching. Yeah, I, I absolutely have to agree with that. Um, but talking about some season awards to give out, unless you have anything else on um, on season expectations, Nathan. No, I think we're ready to move on to the awards show. Did I have anything for season expectations? No, I said everything I needed to say. Great. All right, season awards, coach of the year. Who do you give it to? Um, so that's a tough one. I'm kind of torn between two coaches and Will Harris with the DBs and Durham Cato with the tight ends. And I just look at it as those were the two position groups that played the best. They were the most consistent throughout the year. They were overall the best position group. So I think their position groups kind of deserve the most praise out of all the coaches. Yeah. Um, for your, you said what, it was the DBs head coach and the who? The tight end coach. Was your was your offensive player of the year a tight end, and was your defensive player of the year a DB? Uh, my defensive player of the year was not a DB. Okay, I was about to call some some pretty heavy bias here in your choices, <laughs> but um, my coach of the year was Jimmy Lake. I mean, it, first year head coach. Head coaches always get the love, but I mean, I have to give it to him as his first year as a head coach with the Huskies. Um, just the amount of composure he showed and the ability to just like. I mean, everyone thought we were going to run the ball like 99% of the plays heading into that second game. And then he wore the hat and said all like run the ball and run the ball. And he just goes out and passing. I mean, like I saw it coming, I'd like to say. I mean, that's it's toot my own horn or whatever. But um, I think that that composure and being able like everything he's done in, com uh, in press conferences is like not disclosing information he thought would be a detriment to the team, not giving out like names of players who were sick or stuff like that. Um, and then also just leading the team during the COVID crisis and setting the example of what to do, how to respond to the media, how to talk to people, um, how to act in your, in your life outside of the, the field and stadium. Um, special teams coach needs to go. We're doing awards today. We're not doing, we're not doing, uh, last places. Maybe we'll do that next episode. Good idea, Dubs. We, we, we'll visit that next episode, but who do you, who do you, uh, as, as we move on, uh, Dubs, let us know who you think your, your coach of the year was. Um, Nathan, if actually I'll take it away to play of the year. Uh, yeah. Oh, not play of the year. We'll do play of the year last. I like play right. of the year. Um, let's go offensive player of the year. I think. Oh, we don't have the same pick for this because you said it. No, I think I think yeah, we yeah we, we do have the same pick for that. Kaden senior tight end. I mean, numbers speak for themselves. Nathan, take it away. Yeah, <laughs> he led the team. You touched on in all receiving. I mean, he had twice as many catches. You touched on all this. There were four touchdown passes thrown all year, three of which to Kaden. He. If you look at the games that the Huskies played the best in, he had the great stats. I mean, against Arizona, seven catches, 100 yards, and a touchdown. That was the Huskies' best offensive game. Against Utah, eight catches, 108 yards, two touchdowns. He had on that last-minute drive against Utah, which they needed to score. 
He had three catches on that drive, including the touchdown to put them up with 30 seconds. So Kadon overall, he he played the best out of all the offensive players. I mean, I I have no other way to put it down. Um, thank you for agreeing with me, Dubs. I think that's one zero now to me. Sorry, Nathan, you're losing. Um, but yeah, I mean, just offensive player of the year, Kadon. I mean, like Dylan Morris may be in the conversation, but I mean. Like I said earlier, I think it's a, a pretty unanimous decision that certainly he met expectations, but I don't think he exceeded them by any mm-hmm. standard. Um, so, yeah, absolute agreeance there. O player of the year, K-Dotten. D player of the year um, for me was Adefuwano Lofashio, sophomore linebacker. I mean, dude just killed it this year. Like, again, numbers speak for themselves. Nathan, take it away. Now, yeah, here we are agreeing again. I mean, Lofoshio. He was clearly like a leader on this team. He's really young. He's got a great backstory behind him. He overall was kind of a lion on this defense. He led the team in tackles by far. He had 47 tackles on the year, uh, 31 of which were solo tackles. The next highest was the other linebacker, Sermon, with 27 tackles. I mean, in one game, Ulofosio had 18 or 17 tackles, I believe, against Stanford. So he was a leader on this team. He really stepped up with how poor the running game was for the Huskies. He was kind of the lone bright spot against that with, I believe if Ulofosio wasn't as good as he was, wasn't able to play as well, then the running game would be even worse. My one example that I recall on this is when the Huskies were playing Utah, they there was a series when Ulofosio wasn't actually out there. Utah had a nine-yard run to start it and then a 46-yard run to put him inside the five-yard line. On that 46-yard run, Ulofosio's backup kind of got annihilated, blocked off easily, and just missed the tackle completely, allowing the running back to easily get way downfield, which is something I think Ulofosio would have been able to stop. So overall, Ulofosio clearly was the leader on the defense. You could make an argument for Elijah Molden, ZTF maybe even, but those guys both kind of in ZTF he disappeared against Stanford, and Molden also missed a couple game missed a couple tackles against Stanford. So I think Ulfoshio is the most consistent throughout the season. Um, we cannot hear Joseph here. We're having some technical issues. It looks like. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. I guess moving on quickly just to the freshman player of the year, which I'm pretty sure Joseph and I both agreed on was Dylan Morris at quarterback. He, I mean, we've touched on him before and y'all know my point on him being kind of a game manager, but overall there weren't many freshmen that played a lot. You could about balls, maybe true freshmen. You could, but he kind of missed some tackles. He went through freshman growing pains. And then you look at the wide receivers, those true freshmen, Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, both those guys had drops throughout the year. And Rome really had that one great game to end it against Stanford with five catches, 69 yards, I believe it was. Uh, Joseph, are you back? I, we cannot hear Joseph still. So... Um, just looking at Dylan Morris. Yeah. He was the freshman of the year pick and I guess moving on play of the game. I know what Joseph's pick was. So I guess I can run it through with Joseph being his mic for some reason, not working. So Joseph's pick for play of the game or play of the year was 
against Utah. It was the Trent McDuffie game ceiling interception. I'm sure I'm not doing his description justice, but it was a great – oh, we can hear you, Joseph. Yes. Okay. Hello, everybody. I'm so sorry for those audio difficulties. That is what I get for not charging my microphone before an episode starts. And yes, I had the same freshman of the year pick. I mean, there wasn't really another freshman that did that great or, or had enough playing time. Um, play of the year, Chip McDuffie interception, fourth quarter versus Utah. Absolutely insane. I mean, offense just drove the ball, uh, had just driven the ball to go up 24-21. It was 88 yards, 12 plays uh, left. It was just it was three minutes and 55 seconds of playing time, I think, for that. On capped it off with the TD, O player of the year, good guy. Uh, Utah, Utah takes the field with about 30 seconds left. They're only down three points. They drive it down. They get to a third and five, 18 seconds left on the clock. They heave it up. Ball's nearly caught for not only a first down, but also like five yards into their field goal territory, and their kicker was doing all right. And then, boom, McDuffie intercepts the pass, no flags. GG, HF, go home, beat the traffic. There wasn't anyone at the stadium. Whatever, UW goes up. Uh, and then, yeah, we got ranked within the top 25 and went 3-0 on the season. So that was a great – I thought I thought it was a great play and uh, deserving of this award. So good job, McDuffie. Yeah. And Dylan Morris is not very tall. He's like 6'2", kind of average quarterback height. I believe he's 6'2", maybe 6'3", or 6'1", but not a super tall guy. And so my pick of the – or play of the year, I kind of had two – Impact play that made the biggest impact on the field. I'm picking from the Utah game, Kyler Gordon's forced fumble against the Utah running back. The game, Utah's up still at this point, and they're about to score. They're at about the 14-yard line, going to go up two, two scores. And Kyler Gordon has a perfect form tackle, gets his helmet on the ball. The ball pops off. Huskies recover it. And really, Utah never got close to scoring after that, really. And that game ended 24-21. But my um, play of the year for just style points, I guess, for just skill that required, it has to be the Ty Jones one-handed 42 or three-yard reception. I mean, that one-handed catch kind of falling for really great catch by him. His best catch of the year, best catch catch of his career maybe. I don't know, maybe he had some amazing catch in high school. So far. Yeah. So those, those were my two plays of the year. Yeah, I, I got it. I mean, one of them was from Utah. The other one might have been from the Utah game as well. I have no yeah, idea. It was Stanford. Um, it was against Stanford. Okay. Yeah, that was an insane catch. Oh, my gosh. That was beautiful. Um, But, yeah, that just about finishes up all the time that we have for today. Uh, shout out to Dubs for being our miniature third co-host, uh, dropping us some questions in the chat. That was great. You can get featured in an episode if you uh, take advice like Dubs does and actually put stuff in chat. So, thank you to you. Um. And again, I'm Joseph Claypool. This is Nathan Matheson. You can follow us with our ads that are on screen right now. Again, we're just a small part of the Dashboards family. If you'd like to meet the rest of us, please go to our website, dashboards.tv, and to our partner's website, sportspack12.com, where you can also read into further, you can read further into segments from the weekly episodes with articles that Nathan wrote about them. Boom. And also Um, video segments are going to be coming up for SportsPack12 in the coming days. That is very true. Nathan, thank you for not making me have to do a brief 30-second thing at the end again. Um, If you'd like to revisit the best moments from this show, including all of the ones with dubs, um, please go to our website where you can find all the clips, quips, tips, rips, terrible jokes, and as many full episodes as you can stand, all in one place, all for free, Dashboards TV. That's all we have for this week, and we'll see you next week. But for now, this is Dashboards signing off.